Assalamu alaikum everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Finding Islam podcast. This is episode 7. Uh, I'm your host Abir and I'm joined with Muhammad and uh, Zan, uh, part of the FI team. And today we're going to be discussing, uh, well, secularism, kind of talking about it's uh, the many valid critiques of it, as well as the attempts that have have been made and seem to you know continue to be made uh, to secularize Islam aspects of Islam uh, or Muslim countries in general. Um, so yeah, I think we'll we'll just kick off with this right here. Um, and this is a topic that really you two in general are more kind of well versed in than myself. So Marie, do you want to just kind of kick us off with it? Yeah, inshallah, not a problem. Um... I did my uh, master's dissertation actually on secularism, and that's where I kind of got a lot of this reading and information and research done on secularism, especially secularism in the Islamic context. Uh, All of this really begins with the fall of the Ottoman Empire um, in the 1920s, and this figure, Ali Abdel Razak, who in Egypt is an Azhari scholar, uh, graduated from Al-Azhar, did further education and studies in Oxford, returns to Egypt uh, in the mid-1920s, or he's been in Egypt in the 1920s, and argues for the first time that Khilafah is not necessary, that Caliphate uh, is not a requirement on the, the believers. And this argument... In, in hindsight, seems to be the, the first argument for uh, a secular Islamic world. And the thing with Razak, though, uh, is that he's operating in a very specific context, uh, which is the context of the Egyptian monarchy attempting to lay claim to the Khilafah. Uh, and he was actually, in, in the politics of Egypt, involved in resistance to the monarchy and monarchic rule in favor of a democracy, a constitutional democracy. And so this fits in within his broader um, political career, but in terms of a a singular book and a single kind of attack, you could say, on the century-old institution of the Islamic Caliphate and the argument that we don't need it and that instead we are free to choose how we see fit uh, from the the, the different political systems, this becomes the, the kind of opening salvo in uh, among many different uh, ones um but the opening salvo of this push to uh secularize the islamic world to separate between the religious and the the mundane or the non-religious um and this this line of uh, a stark kind of separation between the things that are religious in nature and everything else begins kind of, uh, or yeah, begins with Abdel Razak. It's continued, some would argue, by the work of other reformist figures um, like Muhammad Abdu and uh, uh, Rashid Reda and Afghani. Uh, yeah, and so some people will retroactively ascribe uh, these thinkers to be secularist thinkers, though they they are much more complicated, and we can't really do any of them justice in uh, a very short amount of time. Um, but there begins right in the, the post-Ottoman world this question of how do we move forward, and one question that people have turned to, or one answer that people have turned to, is to secularize, to separate between Deen and Dunya. To put the religion on the one hand and politics on the other, um, and the rest of life, and this this begs a number of questions like what is secularism in itself? Um, because and then why should we secularize? The question of what is secularism is painfully difficult to uh, define because even amongst scholars of secularism and secularization, there is no consensus on a single definition. Instead, you have three definitions. Um, And you'll notice that each one kind of has its own role to play. Uh, Two of them are, well, and they're all, for the most part, wrapped up in Europe and Europe's experience of secularization. And that's why, according to most major theorists of secularism, um, there are many exceptions, right? Each theorist comes up with essentially one an argument of secularization that only really works in a very localized region uh, or a localized kind of context and when you try to universalize it it falls apart 
so the one the, the first definition of secularism which is the oldest is this separation or extraction of non-religious materials from the the frame of the religious or from the like the sphere of the religious um and this goes back to the extraction of property from under church authority in medieval europe to the commons and the slow kind of uh, bit by bit taking things from uh kind of wider the rest of life away from the church until all the church was left with was this narrowly defined uh, space of what was considered to be religious, right? Things that are uh, matters that are ethical and spiritual. Social critiques were kind of minimized. Uh, the role of religion in society removed. Um, kind of the exercise of the church of, of material power, right? land and military and money, what was pushed to the side in favor of new disciplines, religious explanations or pseudo-religious explanations for the understanding of the world would be replaced by science. Um, and like economics and politics and, and all of these modern disciplines of study um, kind of are born in this wrestling away of essentially the, the authority to discuss about the world from the church. And that ultimately has to deal with the first um, definition of uh, secularism, which is a very kind of, it's rooted in European history. A second definition of secularism has to do with the separation of church and state. And this one has to deal more with uh, political discussion and how do we organize a modern society in the way that best fits all people. The issue with this definition, though, is that there are a number of exceptions. America is a major exception to this, or rather, not necessarily, uh, yeah. So American... uh, the American model seems to be an exception in that the American people uh, are very religious people. America began from its earliest days as a settlement based on religious freedom and the the religiosity of its people, the Puritans in Massachusetts uh, and the Pilgrims as well across like the, the, the first generation of American settlers were here to build a religious utopia. And that dream, while it may have changed and transformed, the bedrock of American society is still Christian even though its government is still secular. Um, actually, and that, and that is a critique of the third theory of economic, uh, sorry, of uh, secularism, which is the decline in religious belief over time. And this is seen by its kind of proponents as a universal symbol of human development. As people understand more and learn more and study the natural world, they begin to shed these outdated, outmoded, kind of superstitious beliefs of the past, right? We no longer need God to explain the world. We no longer need religious authorities to get to give us morality. We no longer need these kind of ancient systems, and we can enter into a, a more rational age um, where we are guided by philosophy and uh, exist in the secular world where the ancient religious divisions no longer divide us. America is an exception to that, though, in that the American people are very heavily religious people. They're, they're a very Christian people. Um, and that may be changing in, in more recent times, but back when these ideas were articulated uh, in like the 1900s, America was seen as an exception to this. Because while in Europe, religious fervor may have been declining, um, in America it had maintained, right? it was saying. Um, but no one ever thought that America was somehow less secular. And the same thing, there's a critique of the second theory of separation of church and state. In England, um, the queen remains the head of the Anglican church. Yet England, despite this, uh, remains to be a a model kind of, well, that may be changing in recent times as well, but is considered a model secular democracy. Uh, And this applies to both America and and the UK. Um, And so there's no real... Uh, single definition of secularism, and instead you'll find that politicians and political analysts and whatnot will swap between the three depending on kind of circumstance and also the, the points that they're trying to prove, um, which makes this whole idea of trying to secularize the Islamic world more difficult because what is it? Is it a matter of political organizations? Um, is it a matter of the decline of religious? kind of fervor in the Islamic world, or uh, is it adopting more modern understandings of the world? And the issue is that secularism, part of the reason why it's so 
kind of important is that secularism is seen as a precondition on becoming a liberal democracy. Um, and I mean, if we're questioning secularism, we would be, it would be unfair of us to not question uh, the, the question of why should we become a, a liberal uh, democracy? Is a secular liberal democracy a valid goal or is it a good uh, goal in the first place? Um, but it's seen as a precondition of becoming a liberal democracy. And all of this is tied up with the state of being modern. To secularize uh, is to modernize, right? You can't be modern without being secular. Um, and then there are debates of like, how possible is it to not be secular in a secularized world? But those are kind of broader, deeper discussions for another time. I don't know if you wanted to jump in on anything, Zane. Um, you just went through like so much. So uh, there's there's a bunch of other things I want to comment on, but um, yeah, we can go back to any so far, I, I I almost don't want to backtrack. Sort of no, just... no, it was kind of just I had intended it to be a rough outline, and we yeah. can jump through any of those points. I think one thing is just to kind of jump in on it is I find it interesting. Uh, I don't think a lot of lay people kind of even know that Marie in terms in terms of what you. Uh, how you went through it, there's multiple definitions of secularism, depending on even how you look at it. I think most people, I think most people at the very basic level probably understand the definition of it being basically separation of church and state. That, that I think mm -hmm. is the most common, it's probably fair to say that's yeah. the most common understanding of it. It is. And yeah. it's interesting as well, because it, because it's a very European model, I suppose, uh, you know, like in terms of its origin. Um, and even uh, like when you mentioned kind of a, it's kind of, uh, I guess, initial inception into kind of Egypt uh, uh, near the end of the Ottoman Empire, how in, at least initially it was coming from people who, like from individuals who had studied in the European <laughs> environment as well. Um, and that reminds me a bit of Pakistan as well, because Muhammad Ali Jinnah was, was, uh, was, was a, a student in, in, uh, of, of, uh, of Oxford as well. Um, which, you know, you, you kind of see similarities of kind of the governance of Pakistan as well and how it's run, ran as a state um, uh, comparatively to probably a lot of, you know, secular states as well. So I, to me, that would be one kind of initial, I guess, problem you could say, is how it's a very European idea and just, you know, what might work or what makes sense in a European climate doesn't automatically translate to Egypt, Pakistan, or even yeah. Muslim nation where the dynamics are completely different. Even other nations in general, um, scholars of secularism have pointed out how their models don't apply to China, don't apply to Japan, don't apply to, to Asia, because the entire dynamic between religion and society is entirely different. Um, and I think it's uh, Jose Casanova who argues that when it comes to religion, there can be no general rules. Yet despite this, politicians... Every day, right? You'll hear someone talking about like, oh, the need to secularize the Middle East. The yeah. religious tensions and religiosity is the problem of the Middle East. And if only that we could kind of bring the Middle East into a modern, liberal, secular world, we could deal with these problems kind of rationally and remove them. Um, but the question is, what is secularism? Because Muslim scholars are split on the the opinion of kind of separating church from state, uh, or even like democracy. Is it simply that we have scholars on the one hand and politicians on the other hand, and it's a very um, like a very practical division of society? In which case, it can be achieved quite simply, right? To say that like we have politicians who are not. Uh, kind of religious scholars, and then we have religious scholars on the other hand, and, and laws are made through uh, kind of political machines as opposed to coming down as religious edicts. Um, and this is where a lot of modern Islamic secularist scholars argue that you can have what they call double consensus, a consensus based on secular politics and then a consensus on religion, that Muslims can have ideas and articulate these ideas politically without using Islam and halal and haram as the language used to debate these. Because the minute you do that, you can't have a discussion around these policies. So if you say the, the Islamic opinion on X issue, X modern issue, is ABCD. That, that's a hard line. No one can now debate the validity of that ruling. But if you say this is what we believe Islamically, and here are the political merits of this solution, 
then you can debate the political merits, you can debate the the practicality of this policy, and then kind of work on creating a double consensus where the laws themselves are not, uh, the laws themselves may be based in Islamic rulings, but the rationale that's kind of used to uh, enact these policies is secular and political. Um, so that's offered by some, uh, I believe like Abdullah Naim, uh, as a way to kind of merge and create this Islamic secular future. Uh, but that debates, I mean, that, that assumes that secularization is the way. And uh, at this point, Marie, are we seeing, I guess, are we seeing alternatives, really? Because, like, so far, I feel like uh, the, the aim still seems to be secularization, from what I'm seeing, like in most, in most you know, kind of uh, Muslim countries anyway. Um, despite the fact that, you know, a lot of these countries are not really doing well. Like, if you look right now, you know, for example, um, Tur- Turkey is, you know, economically is struggling. Pakistan economically is struggling. And this is coming off the back of, you know, many other issues that both these kind of countries have had for years. Um, I mean, especially, I guess you could say Turkey. Cause, you know, of course, Turkey, after, uh, you know, under Ataturk was very, very secular. So is there, uh, is there, are there attempts being made to really, you know, kind of challenge the idea? Change, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, kind of... So- change change beyond kind of the, the attempt to secularize yeah so this is where you get into kind of like views of or like very interesting and differing trends so in the arab world there has been recently uh or less recently rather uh in the early 2000s this push for more islamic governance under uh, Muslim Brotherhood style or related kind of groups. You had the, the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, you had the Anahda in Tunisia. Um, is it Tunisia? Yeah, Tunisia, I believe. Uh, and these different kind of um, groups coming to power, promising Islamic governance. And this very paradoxical trend that these groups themselves, while in power, secularize. Um, they kind of backtrack from their initial uh, kind of promises of a more robust Islamic governance in line with traditional conceptions of the Sharia and uh, be develop more liberal uh, democratic frameworks in these countries. But then Turkey is also an interesting case because you had heavy-handed secularization of society. Uh, and this is also kind of a point that secularism does not necessarily, uh, is not necessarily a marker of uh, a democratic, liberal kind of society. Because in, in the Soviet Union, you had authoritarian secularism. Uh, in Turkey, again, you had authoritarian secularism. Um, but in recent years, especially under um, uh, Erdogan uh, and the uh, the AKP, there has been a push to kind of re-Islamize society, to remove older bans on religious uh, practice in Turkish society, Um and to, to re-Islamize society, except that this hasn't overturned the democratic nature of the Turkish government. Um, yeah. Kind of criticisms of Erdogan and his regime uh, aside, um, Turkey remains, at its core, regardless of the religiosity of its people nowadays, uh, a secular democratic country. Um, though it may not have a shining record, but I can't speak to that because I'm not a I don't specialize in Turkish politics, so I wouldn't know. Um, but there's also been waves of um, Islamic Brotherhood um, or Muslim Brotherhood politicians uh, coming to power in Pakistan, in Malaysia, um, and across the Islamic world, offering or promising some return to kind of Islamically inspired, if not derived exactly from the the, the traditions of Islam, a government. Um, and the success or failure of those movements is entirely dependent on kind of local politics. Um, but yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, Zan, I might try and bring you in here in here. So I suppose, because there's a lot to dissect, so to kind of maybe like, uh, to kind of break it down a bit more. What are, I guess you could say, um, uh, within these attempts to secularize Islam, uh, what are some of the criticisms uh, in your experience and from your, kind of your readings uh, that exist out there? I suppose um, there's a, perhaps the question is, is why do those attempts exist? 
and you know how do they come about and i suppose there's there's perhaps um there's two different dimensions that we can mention um and this might be they each in their own way i suppose they they correspond to the definitions that marie gave so so one um one dimension is like uh, how uh what is refers back to what Marie was saying about how um, like uh, Ali Abdul Razak and you know other reformers were making this attempt to to emulate you know Euro American perceived Euro American success in terms of you know economics and civilizational evolution and they thought that we had to to uh, to emulate them uh, at a at a state level and a social level in terms of the implementation of secularism. And you can see this is something that was mirrored by a lot of other countries in the 19th and 20th centuries. It was the same way with the Japan's Meiji Restoration, which was an attempt to modernize by all. And their, their idea of modernizing was westernizing. And, and, and similarly, you know, with China and, and their cultural revolution becoming a modern country, again, they uh, very happily embraced, you know, um, communism, which again is a European Enlightenment ideology as a means of entering into the modern world. So it's it's not something that's distinct to the Muslims, this... Uh, this desire to look outside of ourselves, specifically towards the West, for the answers to social and political organization as, as a means of success. You know, so, so, so that's one, that sort of inward attempt, looking outward. And um, and you can argue that that often came from a place of, uh, of inferiority, you know, um, a, a sense of inferiority to the, to the, the socio-political norms of the West. Um, and a desire to, uh, and also, you know, uh, again, uh, the, the strength of their um, their their uh, their civilization and the strength of their uh, their culture, so that that they had such a degree of influence over um, not well, only the Muslim world but the rest of the world. So so that that's sort of the, the one dimension that's sort of coming from ourselves, our sense of inferiority, and the the sort of desire to emulate the West. Yeah, that's that's one dimension, and I'll mention a second next. But if I think. I uh, another element to not disregard is their military power, because the, the whole thing that sets off this whole yeah. uh, self, this period of self-reflection, is this feeling of inability to compete, uh, and it's a common trend across the kind of uh, Eastern world, if you were to say. Um, yeah, in, in, in Europe, yeah. I was going to say in Europe, you had you know you had the sick man of Europe, which was Turkey, and then Asia, you had sick man of Asia, which is China, you know, and they both went to these massive social changes in the 20th century. And both of those social changes were geared towards, you know, adoption of European principles. And, and you, you totally right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right. you had the entrance of the Americans into Japan kind yeah. of forcibly and the, the collapse of the Tokugawa shogunate and Meiji restoration. And then this, right. the, Japan's emergence, though, is an interesting one because Japan emerges into the world scene as a capable regional power, uh, especially into World War II. They industrialized, they modernized, but they 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 are they attempted to not, or we can argue how much they did or didn't. But especially in the Meiji era, they remained fully Japanese. They maintained their culture, but they kind of reaped the benefits of modernization, at least from from the outward mm -hmm. sense in terms of yeah. political organization and military strength, and and went on to. Yeah. to kind craft an imperial empire in Asia. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, that's actually a great point to mention because, you know, um, soft power and your ability to attract and influence and often relate to your cultural trend is something that is very much um, uh, comes in complement to your hard power and to your military and economic strength. So uh, again, the military and economic strength of Euro-American actors definitely would have increased their cultural strength, their ability to influence and attract and therefore, you know, bring people over to their way of thinking, which is why you had these attempts from the Muslim world and from the global south and other places to, to secularize, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and, and so that, that's the, the first dimension, which is really important to mention, I suppose. And then the, the second dimension, if, if unless you have any, if you fellas have anything to say on that. Um, we could quote Ibn Khaldun, but we wouldn't need to go there. Go ahead. You know? I mean, he has, Ibn Khaldun has this quote where he says something to the effect of, um, like when one group loses to another, they ascribe their mm. defeat not to their own weakness, but to the perfection of their enemy. Um, and this is what inspires this kind of period of self-reflection with an eye towards uh, kind of inferior their own weaknesses, their own okay. inferiority relative to the, the strength of their the, the one who beat them, and then mm -hmm. the adoption of their social norms and their political norms and, and whatnot. Very interesting. 
That's a brain. Yeah, and then that, that feeds in quite well. You know, Ibn Khaldun was ahead of all these post-colonial theorists coming up with inferiority theories, you know? It's not just a, just a little lesson for everyone. But, um, <laughs> so, but yeah, so that, that's excellent. And then the, the second one, and uh, it, it relates to something we were talking about, military and hard power, is just, you know, the, 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 the interventionist attempts by, you know, Europe to impose their civilization, their norms on the rest of the world, you know, on, on the global south, through, you know, direct colonialism and, and to modern neocolonialism, you know, the, the, you know, uh, mo- most post-colonial states um, from the 1950s and 60s onwards generally adopted, you know, uh, European nation states as their model of governance. And so that's why that became the uh, the, the, the global norm. Um, and, and then that was obviously uh, accompanied by secularism. So, so that that's that's one is you know that 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 interventionists have to, to spread their uh, their 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 uh, way of life and and that was obviously like I was saying is continued through neocolonialism you know American in- interventions into Afghanistan and Iraq um, both came at times uh, of uh, of uh, you know increasing Islamization of society the coup in Egypt came again with the Muslim Brotherhood victory um, attempt attempted to coups in Turkey are on the back of um, increasing Islamic influence in, in Turkey, so you can see that there, whenever the there is the the in terms of the post-colonial age, in terms of uh, the increasing strength of uh, uh, Islam, has seen um, attempts to correct, you know, interventionist and imperial attempt attempts to correct, and this both in the, the colonial and post-colonial period. What's important to note is that this is very much inspired by sort of. You know, European imperialism and European uh, Orientalism, you know, that, that desire to exert control over the global south and the, the desire to uh, to redesign and dissect and uh, to, to create it in its own image. You know, it's, it's not a coincidence, a coincidence that uh, that after colonialism, you know, Egypt and, and Libya and Iraq and Jordan all became monarchies just like Britain. And Syria, uh, Syria became a republic. Syria and Lebanon, I think, became republics like uh, like France. You know, so it's, 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 it's not a coincidence that countries ended up adopting the uh, the, the the governance norms of, of of their colonizer. So, so, so that's the the, the second dimension that uh, I'd mentioned. You no, know? but that first one, which is that inward, that inferiority, that that cultural pressure, which causes you to enter into secularism or to any you know uh, any foreign ideology, and that, then that interventionist imperial uh, dimension that that orientalism you know which is ongoing <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. And we're seeing we're seeing recent you know uh, the recent, most recent example of that is, is afghanistan you know like uh, the us has spent so many re- so many resources so much time and effort in attempting to you know uh, manipulate and kind of inhabit that country uh, for for its own its own benefit. The the funniest thing for me about that situation was, um, I actually saw you know an article uh, after after they they uh, fled uh, Afghanistan, basically saying that uh, since the Taliban now controls like you know the poppy fields, there's going to be less opium now in the U.S. But it was framed as if that's a bad thing. It's like. Really, <laughs> oh, the opium market's gonna get hit real bad, you know. For anyone who invests in opium, yeah. you know, times to get out. It's time to get out now. But a perfect, it's a perfect example, though. It's literally, <laughs> it's all about control. It doesn't matter, you know, whether it's good or bad. Uh, it's all about control. And personally, I'm curious, and I, I hope you, you know, inshallah, things improve for Afghanistan. They're obviously their people are in a very, very difficult uh, situation, mm-hmm. um, you know, economically and so on. But um. Uh, to kind of touch on, so we've touched on, you know, like some of the, you know, the, 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 the criticisms uh, there regarding secularism. Um, and well, we've we touched on kind of, you know, why, why the, why attempts to secularize have been made. Um, I suppose what I would ask is, is there a case now, now that we can kind of retrospectively look at, you know, like the Ottoman Empire and, and these things that kind of predated the rise of secularism, can a case be made to go to say that those systems, you know, I don't think we, you know, realistically speaking, in this era, we could go back to a system like that. But can a case be made that overall that it was a better system? I suppose, mm-hmm. you know, for 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 many of these nations than the attempts that have subsequently been made to secularize. I, I have a response. I'm sure Marie was. Uh, you want to go first? 
Okay, sure. I was going to say that the question perhaps wouldn't necessarily be like in terms of better or worse, but in terms of kind of more holistic and intrinsic, especially within the, the concept, within the Islamic tradition. To secularize and modernize in the Islamic world brought with it a redefinition of the relationships between the state and people and the nature of the law, which, according to scholars like Wa'il Halaq, completely eroded and like undermined uh, earlier understandings of the relationship between the state, the law, and the people. And he argues that uh, a modern Islamic nation-state is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. A state cannot fully apply Islamic law and remain a modern nation-state. Because in his understanding, uh, and in the understanding of some other uh, scholars of Islamic law, the, the law is separate from the state. It's not made by state agents. It's enforced by state agents, but that these agents also have a role outside the state. The, the traditional Islamic scholars were on and off in terms of their appointments as judges by state authorities. And their hiring or firing to official court positions did not change the validity of their legal positions. Um, and you have this kind of evolution of law outside the system um, applied on a very local level, as opposed to what you have nowadays with nation-states, with a top-down imposition of law that is created by legislative bodies and adjudicated over by Supreme Courts, and applied in one way fairly uh, to the best of their ability across an entire landscape. In the Islamic world, what you had was a diversity of legal systems with kind of locales and regions where local scholars adjudicated cases based on their own understandings, which were developed relative to Islamic principles, but also the cultures and customs of the people. And so rulings in Islamic Spain would have differed from rulings in uh, Pakistan, would have differed from rulings in Egypt during their, their time periods pre-modernization. Uh, kind of now in the modern world, what you have, starting with the Ottoman Tanzimat, and uh, you can see this with most other places, is the codification of Islamic law, taking the, the law that was traditionally in the hands of scholars into now the hands of politicians who codify a single set of rulings that would apply in all cases um, from a minimum of at least like four acceptable answers, right? For every legal ruling you can have, or for every legal case, you can have multiple rulings per the, the different schools of Islamic thought and the different methodologies of the scholars. But now that diversity of opinion has been narrowed down to a single concrete rule, which cannot be, um, kind of debated, especially if we're going to argue that this codification of state law is in its essence Islamic. To then attack that law would be to attack its Islamic nature, um, at least according to, to some scholars. Uh, Are you still answering the question? Yeah, so the, the idea is that, like, is this better or worse? It's You can't compare apples and oranges. If we're going to argue, is the modern nation-state, the modern secular democratic nation-state system... I, I think we should, we should different, differentiate between secularism and, and the modern nation-state, because I know you were mentioning, you know, well, halak there, and that, yeah. I think that's the argument about how the, la the, the potential lack of compatibility of yeah. Islam with the nation-state itself. Well, I was going to say, because the two are, are connected when it comes to modernizing, right, if yeah. we're going to critique the, the modern Islamic states and compare yeah. them with three modern Islamic states, the modern ones are secular and, or at least trying to be, right, mm -hmm. secular na uh, nation-states with this kind of top-down application of Islamic law, which, according to some scholars, does a disservice to the Islamic law. Uh, versus this pre-modern kind of bottom-up ground grassroots application of the law, um, and if we're going to judge like the, the secular modern system on its ability to perform the the older style, uh, then then it's going to be found lacking. Basically, the long-winded answer of saying like, if we're going to judge the modern era and the modern states by their ability to do what existed beforehand, they're going to fail because they're not built to do that. They, they're built to run in one very specific way um, where the state controls the law, and that's not how it was in the Islamic past, basically. That's TLDR. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot to process again. <laughs> a long way. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's interesting, to be honest. And, like, look, in fairness, this isn't really a, a topic where, you know, you can kind of just give little bite-sized answers. 
You know, there's no easy, if there was an easy answer to this, we'd probably, you know, see more successful Muslim countries right now. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, you can try. try. I, I, I just, on that point, uh, I think it's been mentioned once or twice, you know, I just would say that, um, uh, I wouldn't say that there aren't unsuccessful Muslim countries. I think, you know, I, I don't think we should get caught in this sort of, uh, this pessimism. A lot of Muslim countries have achieved a lot of impressive things, um, despite the many disadvantages uh, placed upon them. And, uh, and secularism and democracy aren't proven, uh, proven guarantors, I mean, any sort of economic or cultural success. You know, um, uh, Turkey's recent cultural success in terms of its media production is very much attributable to its Islamic heritage. Um, even, uh, you know, in, in during the 20th century, and after the end of the Cold War and the sort of, you know, American triumphalism about their way of life as being the, the only way of life. In the 21st century, we've seen, you know, China, a communist state, you know, destroy everyone in terms of economic growth. So, uh, and, and, and again, that's just another proof that there is no no one model of, 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 of guaranteed to bring success. So, um, so yeah, so just, uh, just, just on that sort of point that, you know, that, uh, I think there are plenty of good things that have come out of Muslim countries that have nothing to do with, um, their, whatever their, 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 uh, chosen political organization is. Mm-hmm. No, that's but, a very, yeah. that's a very good point. Um, and yeah, I suppose, unfortunately, I know you're right. I think it's, we tend to, we tend to think very negatively a lot, a lot about these countries, and uh, it doesn't help probably, especially when we live outside of them. We often only hear the negatives, really. Um, That's right. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. uh, like uh, we rarely, for example, do we even hear about countries like Malaysia, Indonesia, you know, uh, that have advanced, developed themselves very, very impressively, um, and even <laughs> like. Um, I didn't even know this until like, you know, the recent kind of, uh, uh, issue, uh, is probably, you know, a, a, a loose term here, but you know, the rise of the Omicron variant, you know, COVID, the new COVID mm-hmm. variant, it was the, you know, it was picked up, uh, um, by, you know, scientists in South Africa and it was picked up by them or discovered rather because they actually in South Africa have very, they're very advanced in that field, uh, in that field of, 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 of micro, like microbiology, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, the way kind of it got spun in the news was that it's a South African variant, which is not actually the case. Um, but uh, it's a very good point. And we should look to a lot of the advances that have been made within these countries and continue to be made, um, whether it's in areas of like media, uh, like, you know, like we've seen with, with Earth Rule and, and, and so on, mm-hmm. um, or whether it's in even infrastructure like Turkey, you know, the newest, uh, the new airport in Istanbul is very, is very impressive. Uh, Turkey's rail system is as well. I've heard is quite good. Things like that. Um, I suppose the you know, uh, f- for for me the concern is when you look at these nations. We already know you you're under huge pressure. You know we've touched on it already. Yeah. Kind of the soft power uh, that is exerted by the likes of you know the, the America and, and and Western Europe you know European nations. There's a lot of hard power involved as well though, and we're seeing you know, through the rise of China. Similarly, yeah. you know, whether, you know, uh, you know, their approach is different, you know, from like the, the likes of the U.S. and Europe, but uh, they are very much exerting themselves in in nations such as Pakistan, as well as as well as many African nations and others. Um, and so I suppose that will be a huge challenge now for these nations uh, and, and, and especially, you know, for, for Afghanistan as well, kind of being under this new re- regime and how do they handle that? Yeah. Uh, what, was, what was the challenge you're saying for a lot of these countries? I guess the challenge is, is how do you, um, uh, I guess... Resisting kind of foreign hard power. Yeah. 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 Sure, that's that's been the situation for the last several hundred years, you know, it's it's, not, it's ongoing. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's two things I want to respond to based on some of the things that were just said. One is just to just note that, you know, even though we point to... So a lot of Turkey's achievements. It, it is actually technically, like, a, constitutionally, a secular democracy. But this is where we get into um, get into what Marie was talking about—the different definitions of um, of secularism. Because like, no one's going to say that like Erdogan and the AKP are like a very secular party. That they're, they're very clearly like an Islamist party and are drawing upon their Islamic credentials to rule. So. That that's a great example of why the issue is so nebulous, you know. Um, 
But um, but yeah, that's just one thing I wanted to mention. Um, and then uh, another thing is, and you, you're talking about how there's an ongoing uh, attempt to to, uh, to to spread Euro-American norms, be it by hard power, soft power, cultural power, whatever else. Um, something that's happened for the last, but ongoing for the last couple hundred years. And you're talking about you know what was you you also mentioned earlier, I suppose. Um, what's what would be more successful, you know? current efforts to conform to secularism or whatever else or to return to the past and um, I think despite like, you know wherever you go in the future um, you know what's important when navigating um, the the pressure of, uh, of a cultural uh, culturally hegemonic West uh, Western bloc what, what's important when navigating pressure from them and interventionism from them is uh, is is to realize that um, for a lot of the last several hundred years they have been operating off a principle uh, of uh, of universalism that mm. their civilization and cultural and political norms are uh, are a universal civilization which is the end of history you know and, and this is something that came about as a result of the enlightenment you know that uh, um, and it's 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 something that was uh, is, is, is evidenced by you know the attempts to spread liberal, liberal democracy and the attempts in the twentieth century to, uh, to spread communism because it, communism was an, an Enlightenment ideology, um, um, and what's really really important to note about this you know uh, universalism that is being exerted by um, by you know Euro America and you know is obviously t- very much tied in with imperialism is that it assumes that all other the cultures and institutional norms of everyone outside of Europe can be reduced and can be removed and that Euro-American norms can be adopted. That, that's, that's the assumption. That's, the, that's how that universalism makes sense. And what's been really, really obvious, and, and this, 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 this sort of triumphalism uh, uh, with the, 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 you know, the assumption of their universality, this sort of came to a peak right after the end of the Cold War. Okay, we've defeated one communism. We've defeated communism, and now our civilization can be, uh, uh, you know, universal. Mm-hmm. And why that was incredibly stupid was because one, they just defeated another European ideology. So you actually just, in a weird way, you were defeating yourself because you were just one, one another idea, another European ideology which was defi- trying to be universal. And then two, why that was silly was because all of those countries. In the in the post you know uh, Cold War period, who were forced to adopt Euro-American norms in terms of uh, economics and political governance, um, just had a terrible time. R- like Russia in the 90s, adopting Euro-American norms and uh, norms and democracy in terms of its uh, economic politics, uh, went, it went so badly that now we have like a resurgent Russia under Putin that is completely revolting against the West, and and this is. Uh, that that's a great example of, of why that assumption of cultural reduction was it was such a failure that you know that and and, and the uh, the responses to um you know uh, uh, Euro Euro American inspired authoritarianism um there's uh, so there's, there's a lot to unpack there based on what I'm just saying but what's important to know is that you know. Uh, not, not only for Muslims and for Islamic civilizations, but you can't just assume that their cultures and institutions are just going to fade away and adopt a foreign ideology. And, and same for like African countries, South American, you know, it's a, you, a, a society and a country has to be formed on a consensus that everyone has a sort of common culture and belief in the institutions. And, and that's one, one of the reasons why America is tearing itself apart today is because their common consensus doesn't really exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that sort of all kind of made sense. I was kind of zigzagging, yeah. but 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 the point is that um, that okay. So ca- can we uh, get past secularism or return something to the past? The, 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 it's 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 the wrong question. We can't uh, we can't reduce our cultures and change and reduce what is there and just adopt secularism. It's actually just a flawed premise. You know mm-hmm. that the the idea that you just become something you're not. Um, Unless you're like like Russia and China, who just spent decades massively recreating their societies, 
it's it's just uh, not a feasible project. So what, what what is feasible for a lot of countries is for them to take a hard look at their values, hard look at their cultures, hard look at what their people need and want, and create an authentic system for economic and political life. You know, uh, economics goes poorly when it's not authentic, and and the same goes for politics and culture. That was all sort of my a big spiel, but I hope yeah. that sort of made a bit, a bit of sense about you know how countries can manage their relationship with secularism. Now that was very, very, very interesting, and it's uh, yeah, the kind of I feel like there's always just uh, especially with America, they like to just pick one kind of villain. So like before it was you know Soviet Russia and communism, and since then it was well you know war on drugs, then you know war on terrorism and so on and so on. It's always just kind of one, <laughs> one big bad basically. Um, but no, it's interesting. I think your point, especially on authenticity, is important there. Um, and that would be, for me, that would be the big takeaway, is that just as kind of, you know, uh, each kind of caliphate that has existed or each empire has existed has been different according to the different kind of cultures uh, of the people, um, we have to take kind of a similar approach. can't just have a one, you know, try and just copy-paste a solution that, you know, uh, that were that or something that looks like a solution for one place, and then put it somewhere else. I mean, really, that is what secularism exactly has tried to do, uh, and we've seen yeah. that it doesn't work, and it, has, it causes many, many issues. Yeah. So, no, I think that's a really, really great point. And you, you take an exact principle and put it anywhere. You know, just take taking something and chucking somewhere else without without respecting what's already there. You know, that's just and um, taking away secularism. It's, it's the same thing. Like you know. Uh, with any, any ideology, it's the same way why communism was so uh, was so very violently violently rejected in so much of the Muslim world. You know, but right now, like Turkey's coming back from communism, Afghanistan rejected communism. Right now, in Central Asia, in countries which were secular socialist countries for the entire 20th century, there is actually an Islamic revival going on in some of these countries. So you can see that just just the imposition of uh, of alien culture and and politics is uh, and, and and economics even is uh, it's it's just not feasible or clever or desirable. You know, uh, another great example, is, like for specific for economics, is how uh, uh, Africa under African socialism from the fifties until the seventies had about three percent economic growth every year. But from the seventies onwards, with the introduction of uh, Euro-American neoliberal economic policies, which were you know very much pushed through international institutions, such as the IMF and the World Bank. The, uh, which is the same institutions which encouraged neoliberal ideology in Russia and post-communist states, is that they actually reduced economic growth in both Africa and post-communist states. From the 50s, 70s, it was 3%. From the 70s up until the 20, 21st century, it was 1.5%. And, and again, you know, in Russia and some of these other post-communist countries, their economic development was just completely... Say, like, just, uh, just, like, went th- terrible. Went terrible, um after the, the the forced you know it's called it was called shock therapy just shocking them into neoliberal economics so um so yeah that 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 it's it's it, that that point about authenticity in terms of an authentic political and economic and cultural life it's it's, it's very very important and i, I think it it uh, it engages with a lot of different ideas you know about not like they you know engages the idea of not having an inferiority complex about um respecting the values and culture of people there's a lot of different things you can draw into sort of defend the idea of the importance of authenticity. But, um, yeah, yeah. How, how authentic is secularism, guys? I don't know. <laughs> well, there's this one argument, actually, that uh, Islam resists attempts to secularize because yeah. of the kind of resilience of its authentic traditions and, and like, the, the, the prevalence and the, the resilience of, like, the, the traditional religious frameworks. Well, we haven't, as Muslims, like broadly speaking, we haven't abandoned the, the traditional Islamic sciences. We haven't abandoned the traditional religious studies. Um, and it's not like the Islamic scholars have found themselves completely kind of blown out of the water and completely in over their heads and unable to deal with the challenges of the modern world. Islam is finding ways of authentically and holistically responding to the challenges of modernity without losing itself in it. Um, and I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you can tie it back to and hold firmly to the, to the rope of Allah and do not go astray. Um, 
that if we hold on to, to the fundamentals of the deen um, and its principles, we can, inshallah, kind of weather all storms. Mm, absolutely. I mean, who would have, if you would imagine if you were, uh, you know, a Muslim living um, at the time of, you know, Genghis Khan, I'm pretty sure you would have thought, that's it, this is over. You know, yeah. uh, like uh, it's it's always easy to think in the time I think in the time you're living in that you know we're nearing the end times or that this there's no coming back there's no improving from this but you know we've seen we've seen Islam persevere through more difficult things than what many of us go through um, and yeah uh, you know in, it, it will continue to persevere inshallah Muslims will continue to persevere um, yeah so, that's right you know. It's, 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 you know, like we were talking about how, you know, there's that sense of inferiority that, you know, that, that internal, external, external pressure to, to conform to, to, to form norms. But like, you know, we just, one time, we just, like sometimes we just need to sit in the mirror, like, you know, sit down, look in the mirror and tell ourselves, you know, Islam came in the seventh century and was a world power for like 1300 years straight. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was only up until like, the 20th century, like that, like that there wasn't an Islamic world power. You know what I mean? So, like, if if you take that into account, like, how can you? It's 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 impossible to to devalue and to undermine the achievement and success that Islamic civilizations have wrought. You know, it completely undermines the argument that you know that religion. Like you were saying, one of the definitions of secularism is is that oh, it's the uh, People stop being religious and become secular, right? and that's how people evolve. Again, that's that 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 Enlightenment Europe, European consumption of, of what ideological evolution is. But mm-hmm. you know, if, if you take that that thirteen hundred year power, you know, like you know, powering for thirteen hundred years of powering forward, it just completely undermines that that religion and uh, isn't um, it undermines success in uh, politics and economics and civilization, you know, and, and that that we need some something foreign from ourselves. To uh, to be successful because that wasn't the case. You, you, might, you might even argue the opposite that you know our our uh, our uh, abandoning of uh, of um, of, Isla- uh, of uh, uh, Islamic principles is what might have been what you know mm-hmm. you know yeah allowed divisions and civil wars and whatnot to to come between us issues of nationalism and race and yep absolutely. Uh, and I think that's a fantastic note to conclude things on for today. Uh, it was a really interesting discussion. I think we touched on a lot of things. Um, yeah, it's. I I find this. Uh, you know, I'm very much a lay person when it comes to kind of these kind of topics, but I do find it interesting discussing them. Uh, it's a great opportunity for me to learn myself as well. I think it's something that definitely you know uh, gets talked about a lot, as it should. Uh, but at the same time, I think a lot of people. You know, including myself, are probably still not as aware on this issue as, as probably we should be. And kind of, in general, mm-hmm. what what it, what it even mean? What it, what secularism even means? You know, and kind of how, how often it's 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 used, um, perhaps differently than what it actually is, and so on. So you know, mm-hmm. like Zakhal uh, Karati, both uh, this was a really good uh, conversation. Uh, inshallah, hopefully, all of you uh, listening and watching enjoyed it. And um, yes, yeah, so just stay tuned for the next episode. Inshallah, from all of us here at Finding Islam. Assalamu